Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 45 of the In Squash podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Gibson, and uh, today, uh, before we get into uh, episode 45 with our guest, uh, special guest, Steve Wren, uh, I'd like to just uh, talk a little bit about the Pan American uh, Squash Championships, which is uh, at the quarterfinal stage in the singles competition right now. Uh, the men's uh, side of it, I- of the quarters, are almost finished. Uh, unfortunately, Team Canada didn't get through in any of their matches. Uh, Todd Harity uh, was up one love and six love, uh, and then Nick uh, Sackfee had to retire due to injury, so we hope Nick's okay uh, after that. And then uh, Mike McHugh, he went out to the number two seed, oh, sorry, the, uh, the number five to eight seed, Chris Hansen of the U.S., uh, so both Canadians in the quarterfinals went out, uh, unfortunately. Uh, actually, there was a third Canadian as well, Sean Delierre. He also lost to the number one seed heavy favorite to win it, uh, Diego Elias. Uh, um, the Colombian Cannibal, prob- uh, he would have been the, uh, the number one seed, uh, Miguel Rodriguez, but he chose not to play. I think he's playing in the mixed uh, mixed doubles events, so uh, we'll get to see him uh, as a doubles player, which should be uh, entertaining, uh, so try to, hopefully there's a live stream. I haven't seen much in the way of live streaming at this event, which seems to be uh, a thing these days. The, the World Masters was live, live streamed, and uh, many events these days are live streamed or uh, on PSA Squash TV, but this one, uh, uh, as of yet, or it's not uh, out there, it's not... Uh, it's not gone viral yet amongst the squash community so uh, now on the women's side though uh, let me just refresh here uh, see if any results have been updated Um, oh oh, well there is a result updated and uh, a bit of an upset in the final quarterfinal match Uh, Chris Binney of Jamaica he seems to pull off upsets uh, every time I look Uh, he just upset the number uh, two seed in the event, uh, Robertino Pizzotta of Argentina. He beat him uh, three to one. So he's on into the semifinal. He'll play against Chris Hansen uh, of the U.S. in the semifinal. So um, actually, uh, Chris, I, uh, Chris will be on the podcast, I hope, in, in the not too distant uh, future. So looking forward to having him on. And, uh, well, that's a great result for uh, Chris Hansen and Chris Binney. So that'll be, that'll be a good semi. And then Todd Harity and Diego uh, Elias in the other semi. On the women's side, though, uh, uh, the Canadian, uh, Canadian contingent is there with um, uh, Danielle Latorno playing Diana Garcia of Mexico in one quarter. Holly Naughton up against the, the younger sister of uh, Amanda Sobe, Sabrina Sobe. So... I think she'll be making her uh, maybe a foray into the pro uh, squash scene in the not-too-distant future. Um, I'm not sure if she's still uh, in university now playing squash uh, at the university level, the varsity level or not, but uh, she's obviously a talented player like her sister, so uh, she'll be playing uh, Holly Naughton, who's just uh, on the podcast episode uh, 44 uh, a few days ago. Um, so good luck to uh, to both of them, but good luck uh, to the Canadians, obviously, from from this end. And uh, Samantha Cornett, the number two seed in the event, she's uh, up against another American, Haley Mendez. So it's Canada versus America. Uh, the, on the men's side, the Americans got the better of us, so let's see if we can balance it out here with a few wins uh, on the women's side for Team Canada. Okay. And uh, what else do we have uh, to talk about? Well, there's another event, too, I believe, in uh, Seattle uh, with uh, an invitational event, including Will- James Willstrip, Ali Farag, um, Nora uh, El-Tayeb, Nora El-Shabini, uh, Joelle Kings, I think she's there. Gregory Gaultier is there. Will- James Willstrip is there. So uh, it looks like a, a good event and probably... Uh, uh, an event for those guys to get their their feet wet again and to uh, to get in some uh, solid match play before the season begins. 
so that's what's going on out there at the moment. And uh, today on episode 45, we have an old friend and now the newly elected uh, president of Squash Canada, Steve Wren, on the podcast. Now, uh, Steve and I go way back um, back when I used to play competitively representing the province of Nova Scotia and uh, Newfoundland. Uh, he was, I believe he played for Quebec, or it could have been Ontario. No, uh, he played for Ontario, and we used to cross paths uh, at nationals and at the uh, provincial team championships every year, and at a few other uh, events uh, throughout the year. But uh, he was one of the top players in Canada, a guy that, uh, really good player, uh, good guy. And uh, when I left Canada in about 1995, uh, of course he stayed, and got married, had children, and they all uh, went on to play squash, so it, it remained a an integral part of his life, and he's uh, uh, now one of the uh, the top 50-plus players in the world. I think he had a little, a bit of an injury heading into the world uh, championships this year, which kept him from performing at the level that, he, that he's uh, used to playing at, but uh, he still got to the quarterfinal. It was a really... Uh, Really uh, deep, 50-plus uh, throughout the world's, uh, I think in every division, look pretty deep. You've got quite a few uh, former PSA players now uh, entering the, these Masters events, so it makes it uh, uh, pretty difficult for, uh, for anyone at the amateur level or who, who decided maybe not to turn pro or just not a pro uh, at all to uh, run, get deep into the, uh, the Masters division uh, draws. But Steve did. He got to the quarterfinal, and uh, uh, he had done that quite consistently uh, over the past few years, winning the British, the U.S., and the Canadian 50-plus championships uh, in recent years. So uh, anyways, we uh, get Steve onto the podcast. We take a look back at his squash career uh, for a bit, and then we look at uh, how he took on the role of president of uh, Squash uh, Canada. He was elected to the position, so obviously uh, the people spoke, and he, uh, he was the man that the people chose. Uh, so, and we take a look at his, uh, his vision for Squash Canada, uh, and a few, we discuss a few uh, things that uh, uh, we think might uh, help improve the game in, in Canada at the pro level and at the... Uh, uh, performance, uh, elite performance level, level, and also uh, for the people and for the game, just uh, spreading the popularity and other elements, uh, junior squash, refereeing, so on and so forth. We get into it for quite a bit uh, on the podcast, and then uh, once we finished it, actually, we spoke for about an hour afterwards. So uh, really enjoyed uh, catching up with Steve, and I know you're going to enjoy uh, the podcast as well, whether you're Canadian uh, or not. So episode 45, Steve Wren on today's podcast. Welcome to episode uh, 45 today, and uh, we're really delighted to have a former world, former New Zealand uh, junior national team member. In 1986, he moved uh, from New Zealand to Canada as a squash pro. Uh, I believe he moved to Toronto and eventually... Uh, uh, took o moved into the top 10 as a player nationally, reaching uh, number seven, I believe, in 1992. More recently, he's had great success as a Masters player in the 50-plus category, uh, winning the British, the U.S., and the Canadian Masters in recent years, and uh, getting to the quarters uh, this year at the World Masters uh, last month in a very, very uh, tough 50-plus uh, division, and topping off this impressive uh, squash resume anyways. Uh, he was recently elected as president of Squash Canada on June 23rd. Steve Wren is my guest. Steve, great to have you on the podcast. Well, day, Jerry. Thanks very much. That's a, a, a real gracious intro. I uh, appreciate that, and it's a pleasure to be on, and it's nice to talk to you again. It's been so, so long since we were you know, doing the squash thing here in Canada when you were back in the country. Yeah, it's been a while. That, that was uh, what I was uh, talk, telling you about earlier. I was going to surprise you with a question here. Uh, I can remember, uh, I think, uh, the last time that we, uh, we uh, well, last time I saw you. Uh, can you? Uh, yeah, I think so. I, I believe it was Yellowknife, Northwest Territories at the Canadian Teams Champs. You were playing for Nova Scotia. Okay. We always yeah. love the Nova Scotia team showing up. I, uh, Am I right? Uh, 
Well, I that I think uh, the I think there was one just after that. You came to Halifax, uh, circa '93, for the Atlantic Open Pro Am. Do you remember that? <laughs> oh, okay. Do you remember yeah. that? Good surprise. Uh, yes, parts of it. Yeah, <laughs> that was a good that was a good weekend. I think you, Bob Ballinger, Jamie, uh, maybe Darren Thompson, a few guys came over and. Uh, uh, challenged us boys uh, from uh, and kicked our asses, I must say. Uh, uh, us boys from the Atlantic. So, yeah, that was one of my first times there. I always loved going to Halifax, and I still do. I go there for work these days in my, my current life, and uh, it's, it's uh, not really squash related, but uh, all of my opportunities to go to the Atlantic Maritimes, I, I, I simply love it. I mean, it's, a, it's great dealing with people over there. There's a great attitude amongst people and yep. people have a, um, a wonderful lifestyle that I think is kind of a hidden treasure for them. Absolutely. Yeah. I was actually, uh, I hit a little bit with Matt Bishop while I was, I was just at home recently and he you said were. that you guys had uh, had a little hit as well. Yeah. I catch up with Matt when I head over there each time. Yeah. Yeah. Quality well, player. Probably, quality yeah, player. Absolutely. He had Long a great, grown. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, we, uh, <laughs> We, we love getting together and having a hit. Um, he's playing good, good squash. I mean, as a master's player, he's, he's one of Canada's foremost players now, and uh, he's enjoying it out there, testing yeah. himself, you know, outside of Canada. So I hope he sticks with it and uh, really pushes himself outside of Canada. Yeah, There's a lot of to be, great master's fans uh, to go to. Yeah, he seems to be uh, all in. I mean, uh, you know, if we used to go, when I'd go back home, we'd go, always go up for a few beers and stuff. I, I think he's drinking water these days. <laughs> is, that, is that allowed in Nova Scotia? I don't think so. Uh, uh, I don't. I don't think so. But um, now you uh, you just recently uh, uh, played in the World Masters, and it seemed what a great event uh, overall. It just seemed really good, well run. I watched a lot of the matches on the, on the YouTube, including one of yours. Uh, it was your round sixteen match where I think you won in five. Uh, and I wasn't, I don't remember the, maybe a European fella uh, that you played, but it was very close in the fifth. Uh, New Peters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Had you played him before? Or? No, it was our first time to meet. Uh, and we had an epic match. Uh, I, I tell you, after, I've been playing 40 years, I think, and I've never experienced something like occurred in that match. And what, what was it? Uh, I mean, it, it was great to watch. I mean, you know, it, it was a fun match to watch. He kind of found his way after you, you controlled, a, controlled the pace a little bit. And then I'm not sure what happened. What, what happened? Steve? Well, I've only got myself to blame. So, <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I started off pretty good. I was up two love and then 10-9 match point in the third and uh, looking like it was going to you know, get finished. But I was playing a little bit lame with a, a, a port and adductor in the first set of the first match of that Ooh. tournament, and it yeah. was niggling. Um, so anyway, you picked up that third game. Uh, good. You know, we're 2-1. And the next game, well, I'm up 10-9 again. In fact, I think I was down 11, uh, something like 10-9. I came back. I was up 11-10. So I had match point there. I uh, couldn't close the deal, so lost that one. Um, come off. Okay, we're into a fifth. And... I think I got up to 10-9 again and uh, blew that also. <laughs> so what, what were you thinking then? Well, I just didn't think I could actually close this match out. I, but, I mean, to have match points in three games and still not finish it off, uh, was that was the point where I'm going, I, I, I think I was thinking of the, the long term is that this is the first for me. <laughs> anyway... Uh, there were other things to do at 10 all and, and fortunately a couple of good things happened my way and, and I did win the match 12-10. So it was a lot of fun and we were both battling for the same objective uh, and uh, great camaraderie afterwards. Absolutely. Yeah, I really, I mean, he was, he was a really good sport afterwards as were you and, uh, and he, he, he sort of played similar games almost. Uh, he was very sort of up-tempo. He went for his shots as well like you do. Sure did, yep. Yeah, I mean the rallies weren't very long, and 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 we're both squash, happy. With it. It's master's squash. Yeah. <laughs> you've just got to use the tools you've got. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, like I said to you earlier, I think I think uh, obviously you. I noticed you had a little bit of a niggle there, but uh, I mean you're moving well uh, uh, and reacting well. I think, uh, which is why you you've had success at, in the masters uh, lately. 
Yeah, Masters is an interesting game. I mean, as I'm getting older, I, I realise that you simply just can't do the same things as, as what you thought you used to be able to. And um, you have to find other ways to get yourself through a match. And that, that's the new challenge now. And I think yeah. we're all dealing with the same thing as we're dealing, you know, put ourselves out there for Masters competition. And that remains um, uh, 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 inspiring and, and uh, challenging. And if the body can hold up and the, the shots are still there, um, there's still a lot of fun to have from it. Oh, for sure. Evidence of that is, you know, there's 850 players playing in that World Masters tournament. So the participation numbers are just fantastic. Yeah. No, for sure. And, uh, I mean, I, like I said to you earlier, I played um, a younger fella earlier this week. And, you know, I, I did pretty well, but he was just a little bit too quick and a little bit too fast. And he was reacting well, and I wasn't. Uh, that was the bottom line. So I think when you play younger people, it can be a little bit discouraging because I was playing some older guys about my level a little while ago and doing reasonably well against them. So not don't get discouraged, I think, is a good thing uh, when you're playing younger guys who haven't reached uh, you know, the 50s uh, yet. Oh, sure, sure. It's fun to test yourself against the younger ones coming through. Always was. Yeah, for sure. Now, uh, if you don't mind, let, let's take a, a look back to uh, 1986. That's when you wow. decided. Yeah, uh, can you remember yeah. back <laughs> that actually, far? You came to Canada actually, in, 90, in 86. Uh, what was it in New Zealand? I, I guess you you traveled a bit playing junior squash around the world. But what what, what was it at that time uh, that put Canada uh, on your radar? Okay. Well, I came over to Canada with a New Zealand junior team two years earlier than 86, and we played World, World Junior Champs in Calgary. Uh, there was about 15, 16 countries there. It was my first real experience into you know, that sort of exposure of players from all over the world. A lot of our squash in New Zealand, international squash back then was between Australia and Malaysia, and, and you know it was relatively limited. We, Of course, the competition was was extreme because back then there was Robertson's, Martins, and uh, uh, I would uh, so many of these young Australians that were coming through Rodney Isles and um, yeah Tristan. I oh, know such a great group. Yeah, but um, that that uh, visit to Canada sort of triggered my desire to go back and. And in the mid-80s, squash was really going off in Canada throughout the country. There was a lot of court conversions happening with racquetball and tournaments occurring in all the provinces where there was a bit of prize money being offered. So um, from the friendships that I made while I was over during that tournament as a junior, I, I felt Canada was the right place to come back to to uh, come and experience more of that squash competition and, and see more of the, this big country here. So uh, it was a lot of curiosity, but um, knowing that the squash community was was vibrant and growing and, and very inviting. And so I, I went back to New Zealand after the Worlds and, and uh, hooked up with three other guys. Uh, we formed a, a small team called the Young Kiwis, uh, self-funded, and brought ourselves back to Canada for uh, the squash season in 86 and uh, bought ourselves a car and in California, drove it from Mexico up to <laughs> the Alberta, and that was our mode of travel uh, between all the tournaments as we wow. got to uh, play ourselves around the country. Sort of like a rock and roll band. Well, <laughs> I don't know, don't know if we had the groupies coming with us, but <laughs> and we and we probably didn't smell very good either. But yeah. uh, we had a ton of fun and. Uh, we formed some close relationships with each other. Of course, uh, we relied on each other to just get through those days, and and uh, they were unforgettable times, really um, formative. And uh, you know, the squash was all part of it. That was really where I met so many people who remain close friends of mine today. Yeah. And you, uh, so you you started as a as a touring pro, I guess, did you, uh, did you do any coaching, uh, at the time as well? Um, to be honest, I didn't really coach until I settled down in Toronto. Uh, prior to that, we were always moving. So, you know, if there was some coaching opportunities during a tournament, we'd, we'd dive into it. But, 
Uh, once I, I, I got to Toronto, uh, there were coaching opportunities there and I, I jumped on uh, one of those at the Richmond Hill Squash Club. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that meant, you know, a two-hour bus ride to get there and back. And in the snow days, it was a, it was tough work. Shortly after uh, that start, I, I was offered a position at the Carlson Court Squash Club, which turned into Curzons by a good friend, Murray Christensen, who is another Kiwi. And he was looking for a, a pro at that time. And and uh, the facility was standout. Uh, we were the only club with a permanent glass squash court in the facility. And uh, at that time, the Canadian Open was being held there, the Drakenoir Canadian Championships, um, and the Men and Cup. So, you know, these events were happening where world pros were coming in and uh, competing, training, and ready. It was, for me, the best place I could imagine to be as an employee. That was uh, back during the day of, uh, like, Sharif Khan and Clive Caldwell and, and those guys, wasn't it? So, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. I mean, for North American representation, they were the guys. Um, but you know, you had Jahanga getting into the soft, into the excuse me, the hardball side of things. Yeah. But uh, obviously, you know, his he was the best at softball at that time, and so the Canadians wanted to test themselves against Jahanga. But then, of course, Chris Dittmar, you know, Ross Norman, Stuart Davenport, uh, uh, boy, the, the list goes on. I've got to try and recollect these people, but. Um, Squash, uh, you know, the, the world-class squash was coming to Toronto and sure. I was working at the same club. So that uh, that kept me locked in pretty good for a, some time. And at that, that around that time as well, I had met my current wife, uh, Hélène Tivierge, uh, through some association of meeting other squash players and their friends. And one thing led to another. So, you know, I end up with a job and, and a... Uh, very close companion and what yeah. I thought was going to be six months turned into two years and, and five years and it just goes on and on and here, here I am <laughs> so right. 32 right winters later <laughs> yeah yeah you probably didn't think you'd be able to survive uh, that many Canadian winters Steve dealing with it still now Jerry yeah yeah <laughs> you, you, you must be a bit of a I mean a lot a few of the Kiwi guys I know they're and obviously the Aussies are a bit of surfers as well uh, you get into that, uh, I guess, more windsurfing in Ontario, wouldn't it? Well, I, to be honest, I don't do it here. Uh, surfing was my passion. I tried a bit of windsurfing. I wasn't really that good, I felt. so. But surfing, I could manage. And I had a couple of great surfboards that I've still got yeah. tucked away at my sister's home in Christchurch in New Zealand. And, okay. and uh, yeah, I, I follow the, the surfing circuit, love watching it. Uh, if I can get out and do some, I will. Haven't gone out at Lawrencetown, close to your oh, yeah. home. Well, I'll tell you a great story. My buddies, uh, they, they claim that uh, the best surf is in the winter. I could imagine. Yeah, but they, the they, temperature they, of the water is not too the different. Car, uh, all heat, all, they, they heat up the car, put on their wetsuit, go out for 15 minutes, and then come back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently. That, that's what they say. I don't know how true. There may be a bit of hyperbole there. But. Sure. It's frosty for sure. Winter and summer even at Lawrencetown. Oh, yeah. yeah, for sure. But uh, so that those years, yeah, they, they were the for softball squash. Anyways, that, that was the beginning of some great years for Canada. Uh, we had, uh, I guess, right around that time, Gary Waite would have been just finishing juniors, and he went on to have a very good uh, professional career along with uh, Jamie Crombie. And then, of course, uh, the next generation, Jonathan Power, Graham Riding, Shahir Razik, did uh, basically. That you could say they were the best generation of squash player that we've ever that we've had in in Canada up until now. Uh, what do you think uh, at that time? Because you were right around that, you were there. Uh, do, can you think of any reason as to what may have led to the development of that generation of player? Hmm. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Well, it's probably a question we keep asking ourselves a lot now. How do how so? How do we replicate it? And yeah. I find these players that have excelled on the world scene, but even before Gary, I mean, Canada was producing some world-class pros and Dale Steiner, you know, uh, yeah. Sabir Butt was around Gary's time. Um, Steve Lawton, John Fleury, these guys were all world-class squash players also. And there's been a fair legacy through the times in Canada. Uh, and so when Jonathan was coming through, 
I guess, you know, his immediate competition would have been to aspire up to Gary Waite, Jamie Crombie, Jean Turk, um, get past Dale Steiner perhaps. I think he was finishing his career at that time. Um, but Jonathan was truly an X-Factor player, even as a junior. Sure, yeah. And, you know, for, for all of us who have had a go at coaching Jonathan, um, Jonathan was always a coach of himself as well. And, you know, he, he had ways of reading the game and, and um, applying his skills that uh, you, you, sometimes, you sometimes can't really uh, package up, bottle up. You've got to let this, this type of player do what he wants to do on a squash court. And, and that's how he developed so much of his, his skill and his deception and his creativity. And um, he sort of you know, found a, a new way of playing squash amongst the, the, the world-class group at that time. Uh, Graham, of course, you know, had, uh, he was a player of, of, of stature in his own right as well. And, um, and Shahir, I mean, you know, the, the guy who could stay in there on the court with anyone for as long as he needed to. So they all relied on different parts of, of their physical and mental makeup that made them world-class. What do we, you know, how do we try to replicate that now? Well, Canada's, Canada does have a lot of good juniors coming through who are somewhat doing similar things with respect to uh, using creativity, uh, good coaching, um, exposing themselves to world-class events. And you know, evidence of that is three of our Canadian juniors showing up in the, in the last 16 of the World Junior Squash Champs. So... No, they've had a very good run, um, but um, sometimes you just can't plan for when that X Factor junior comes along. And, and, and the, we've got to speak for the girls as well. The girls are doing very well on the world scene right now. Absolutely. They've got some great depth there. Yeah. And um, I guess it's a case of you've got to keep the, 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 the foundation of the triangle as broad as possible and the kids... Uh, active, enjoying what they're doing when they're at the squash club and competition that they're playing in and motivated to keep aspiring and chasing up the ladder. And we've got great role models, I think, right now that can help those kids dream um, for what they might be able to do on the world scene. But uh, I think we both know it's really, really hard as well. The PSA Tour, men's and women's, it's tough. Oh, yeah, so, for sure. The challenge, if the kids are up for that challenge, uh, it can be really rewarding, um, but there's a lot of choices they have to make along the way. Yeah. Now, um, if we fast forward, let's say fast forward 25 years here, uh, you recently um, sat as the interim executive director of Squash Canada. I think that was for six months. Uh, at that time, uh, did you have it in mind that you were going to uh, maybe that you were interested in the Squash Canada presidency? And was that sort of like a litmus test uh, for you? Or um... Yeah, fair thing to say, litmus. Um, it was a necessity as well. Uh, mm. our, our Squash Canada office is here in Ottawa. I live in Gatineau in Quebec across the river. Uh, but I work in Ottawa. But, you know, at the time that our staff had vacated the office, the keys were handed over and said, you know, ask me, Steve, <laughs> could you take care of business for the for the time being? <laughs> and uh, there wasn't a lot of choice. So whether it was, you know, had designs on doing things further with such work as being the president, I probably didn't think about it back then. I don't, I don't think so, but it wasn't a conscious choice. But I was an active member on the board and happy to step in. And, and it allowed me to, you know, understand a lot of the operational functions of what happens within Squash Canada on a day-to-day -day basis. So it's given me a good appreciation for it. And I work closely now with all the members of the board, obviously, but the staff and uh, Dan Wolfenden, our executive director, and other staff who we have on site here in Ottawa. So it, it, it certainly gave me a, a good opportunity to get a feeling for what might be coming anyway. Yeah. And um, I guess when when the the vote came in uh, and you you decided to put or to put your name in the hat, so to speak, uh, how did you feel when when you were elected uh, Squash Canada president? Where does this rank, I guess, amongst your uh, on, on the resume, as it were? Yeah, well, uh, I was I was graciously surprised. Um, 
I mean, there were other people who were willing to put themselves into put their their name in the hat for the the opportunity to do this. Um, and I, how did I feel? I felt overwhelmed, to be honest. And we had had a busy spell leading right up until that AGM when it took place. Um, privileged, honoured, and I feel it is a really cool sort of culmination from where things started when I did come to Canada. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. You know, from that, from that buying a car in Mexico. And living in it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, over that time, I get to see the spectrum of squash in the country and how it's developed. And we've had a lot of good times, you know, comp- competitive-wise on the world scene. And we've had droughts. We're, we're looking for you know, how we're going to make things better again and uh, rise our rankings and, and uh, increase the player base and operations within the sport here and you know we, we are on that verge perhaps of uh, attendance to the world to, to the Olympic Games so hmm. the opportunity there that is in front of the whole squash community is really exciting and so that would be another way I'd describe it is that there's some exciting times ahead so all of these feelings sort of came through at that time and yeah, yeah it was it was fun to go and have a beer shortly after and just sort of reflect on that with with some good people around me at that AGM. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Now, uh, there's no, uh, it just seems to me that they, they've also brought in Martin Heap. They've brought you in. Uh, so it seems to me that they, they'd like to get people, not only with, uh, you know, people who know a lot about squash, but guys who've been on the court at, at a very high level, uh, trying to do things and make uh, changes in terms of development. Uh, so we talked a little bit about the, the weight and power generations, and, and now there's been a bit, I hate to say it, but a bit of a lull on the men's side anyways over the last few years. Uh, now that we have Martin and yourself on board, sort of uh, I guess your vision is to start doing a few things maybe differently, uh, uh, taking a, a different approach? Yeah, uh, well, depending on the objective, um, obviously, Performance internationally is key. Uh, the you know our mantra for Squash Canada is pride, performance, passion, and we want our players to be, you know, to be rising, improving in their world rankings and achieving what they're setting themselves out for their own objectives. Uh, we'd like to see our teams perform to the highest ability and have you know, significant placings in world championships. Martin gets it. I mean, he's been there before. He's uh, played at the highest level. He knows what it takes. And he's come from a background in Scotland where, you know, there's not a lot of people around him, unpopulated. And he, for many of his years, as you know, Jerry, because I think you, you had a great interview with, with Martin, but I was fascinated when I got to learn some more about uh, Martin that I didn't know before. And there's an example of how a person can bring themselves from um, a very small community to becoming one of the very best in the world at their chosen sport. And that, to me, is a huge motivation and an inspiration. And it's, an, it's, a, it's a story that can be shared amongst our players to give everyone the hope that you need. Uh, because, it's, as I said, it's, we all know it's not easy, right? It's not easy no, no, to make no. progress. And what uh, have you, you, obviously you and Martin have spoken uh, yeah. a few times already. What, what kinds of things um, are you discussing in terms of his, his role? Uh, his role is sort of a specific role, right? Uh, as I guess it's the elite uh, program coordinator, uh, something along those lines. Yeah, well, Martin's needed some time to look at how HP high performance has been running so far. Uh, and Get, don't get me wrong, I mean, we've had a lot of good things happening during the, the six, seven years put in there by Jamie Hickox in the past, and uh, it's, that's a tough job too. You know, you're relying on the, the motivation, the skills, and the, the training that the player base are prepared to, to, to put into their own objectives. Um, you talked about a lull, and, uh, you know, is that lull a reflection on people's effort? No. Um, it's not really a, it could be regarded as a reflection on, on HP programming, but um, we always compare ourselves back to that 
fantastic quality, that strata of players like Jonathan and Shahir and Graham who, who took us to the next level. And let's include Gary. I mean, Gary was a, a top 12 player in the world also. So um, back to Martin, there's, there's, he's reviewing how the program has, has been run and what he can introduce that are coming from perhaps a more recent approach to high performance from a world perspective. Um, building his relationship with the player base so that they can understand where Martin's coming from, um, understanding what Martin's objectives are with those players also. And at the moment, we're, we're sort of determining how do we work on a, a, a hybrid of centralised, decentralised training uh, for that player group across the country because our national team is made up from players from different provinces. And, right. uh, you know, they have their... their their training bases and their, their own personal coaches uh, who Martin then has to integrate his own work with. And, um, and we're still pretty early in that process so far. Mm. So good things are about to come and we're looking forward to getting that message out um, around the, the provinces and territories and the player group in Canada within the next four to six weeks. Now, one, one thing I noticed uh, in talking with a few of the players, uh, I've spoken with Nick uh, Sackvi, Andrew Schnell, uh, Danielle, and Holly uh, just yesterday, actually, Holly Naughton. Um, right. And a lot of them, um, you, know, they, they're, you know, they're very passionate about the game, obviously. But it just seems to me that um, unlike the, the players who are based in Europe, uh, they, who, they have access to a lot of these leagues and, and a lot of the, you know, sort of teams of that are being players that are being coached in groups uh, and they get access to a lot of high level squash immediately. Whereas in Canada, they may not, uh, that may not be available. And one thing I, I remember speaking with Martin about, uh, you may remember this in the interview. Uh, we talked a little bit about um, perhaps uh, thinking of introducing a, a pro league in North America that, um, mm -hmm. You know, when there there are several events in the U.S. and a few in Canada, and during those maybe during those periods when players are over here, uh, if somehow the funding were available, that's always the key for those kinds of things. But uh, would that be something you uh, think might, uh, amongst other things, obviously, but in terms of sure. giving the players support they need, I think that may be the kind of support uh, because Jonathan, obviously, he. He was a well sought after player. They they pay him to go over there and play, but uh, not all our players have that luxury. Sure, uh, oh, it would be a gr an, a great thing to have, wouldn't it? Um, we're such a large geographical area here to pull these players together on a frequent basis. It remains. <clears throat> it'll be it'll be the challenge for us for for eternity. Um, yeah, in Britain and in in uh, Germany and in Europe where these leagues are taking place, the concentration of these players is so much more effective to allow those leagues to operate. Um, now, they have also achieved wonderful sponsorship deals. Uh, their ticket sales are mature with the player base, or excuse me, the fan base that they come and watch these, these types of things. But it's, it's not out of the realm for it to happen here at all. Um, Back in Toronto, when I was a pro, we did run a professional, well, a somewhat a semi-professional squash league called the Premier Squash League in Toronto with uh, eight teams of four players drafted of the very best who were in the GTA in the Toronto region at that time. And uh, it, it was effective. Uh, Jonathan did play. Uh, Graham did play. These were in their formative years, but um, members of clubs would come out and they would get a chance to see these young guys competing and there was a bit of prize money in it for them and certainly for the teams as they were completing the program over, a, uh, I think it was a 10-week a ten ten uh, program and then we would repeat it again for a second session during the winter. But it took advantage of all the pros who were living and training within one area uh, and you know, getting them out to play com competition outside of any tournaments that... Uh, that they were playing in at that time as well. And, you know, the tournaments obviously take these, these guys and, and girls out to cities outside of the GTA. So it can, there can be spells of time during the squash season where the general public don't actually get to see uh, these 
top world-class players who are residing in their city. So, you know, how we get to a point of bringing this concentration of players that we have between Montreal, Toronto, uh, outside of Toronto, and then into the Northeast United States, it, it's, it's definitely worth exploring. Um, it would be a lot of fun to see it come to some fruition yeah. and have some sort of league operating on this side of the Atlantic that could then you know, put a team forward that might go across and compete representing a North American perspective uh, against teams in, in, over in Europe as well. Oh, for so, sure. Yeah, there's a lot of scope for it. Uh, it takes a lot of discussion and, and cooperation amongst the parties, both sides of the border on this side. So it's, it's one for the future. For sure. Now, we've been talking uh, a lot about the pro game. Uh, now, just, just before I move on, the, lay, the, the girls uh, obviously have been doing very well. They're, you've got like six, maybe five, five girls in the top 60 in the world. Include, uh, I think Sam is at 32, Holly's at 35, uh, Danielle's at 40. Uh, so that bodes really well. And uh, I think all of them have performed well in the super series events that they've qualified for, they've lost, but they, they've played well. So they're, they're right there. Uh, I think maybe a win or two away from gaining the confidence that you, you know, you know what happens when you win in a, a match, it just keeps going. Sure. Uh, and they're all, well, the, those girls you've just mentioned, they're in the Caymans competing in the Pan Am championships this week. Uh, so competition starts tomorrow, I believe. And uh, that's in preparation for the Pan Am Games uh, held in South America and Peru, I believe, next year. Mm -hmm. So this is an important tournament for these girls to allow us to get as good a seating as we can for the Pan Am Games. Right. And you know what games means. Uh, games means medals and medals in all disciplines of the game being mixed doubles, doubles, and the singles definitely means comes back to reflect on funding. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the steps that we have to make uh, when it comes to performing well on the international scene. So fingers crossed that, you know, these girls are all feeling great this weekend and uh, ready to, you know, have some really good successful results. And the guys too, of course, all the same sure. goes for the guys. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the guys are, I mean, they're young, uh, Andrew, uh, Nick, um, a few of the, I'm not sure the other guys, the, the names of, um, who, who else is there behind Andrew and Nick? Uh, You've got uh, Mike McHugh, right? Yeah, Mike uh, McHugh uh, and uh, Dave Barjon, who, right. who just uh, just missed out on on uh, qualification into that team, and of course our journeyman uh, Sean Delier. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you did you hear him on the podcast, Steve? I loved it. He <laughs> was awesome. It. Man. I, I had was biking home that day, and I giggled all the way. Yeah, that's my first. Uh, I've we've met before, but that was my first real uh, conversation with him, and he didn't disappoint. He's special. Yeah. Now, um, now we've we've been talking a lot about the pro game, but obviously, uh, squash Canada is uh, the it, it, much broader than that. Obviously, so what do uh, what other things do you have in mind in terms of uh, developing the game? Uh, well, I guess basically what I'm trying to what I'm trying to say is uh, what what else do you have in mind in terms of uh, your role as president of, of Squash Canada beyond the the high flying uh, professional uh, squash game? Yeah. Okay. Well, there's a, there are a few things in front of us which are uh, critical. One of them is the implementation of this new um, squash management platform called Club Locker, which is a product that's being utilized in the United States and by uh, England Squash and Rackable. And what Club Locker does, it, it integrates all the functions of, uh, boy, tournaments, um, membership, uh, rankings, uh, tournament organization, scheduling, entries. Um, it's, it's multifaceted. And in fact, it was, it was used to, uh, a, a great degree at the World Masters Squash Champs, which included the integration of uh, 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 monitors throughout the facility where scores and uh, scheduling was maintained in real time. And, and that's a wonderful thing, you know, with connectivity these days is that the, 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 the product allows 
people to uh, connect into the operation of an event, in fact, any event, multiple events at the same time, and understand right down to the granular level of what a score of, particular score of a match might be uh, at that very moment. Uh, and we're well, talking I was about just, uh, I said it earlier, I mean, that, I really thought that event was really well, well run. You were there, but uh, just from, you know, from afar, watching it, uh, uh, I really thought it was well organized. Yeah, it sure that was. Uh, they, did, they didn't miss a beat. Mark Allen and his operating team at the uh, MacArthur Squash Center there, University of Virginia, they, they had prepared so well for this and learned a lot from these other previous World Masters events, which you know, from participation numbers is one of the highest in participation in the world, perhaps outside of the US Junior US Junior Open and the um, I, th I think uh, England School Squash Competition is one of the highest as well. But you know, anytime you're talking about multiple hundreds of people, uh, there's risk that comes with it, and you've got to know what you're doing. And this system, the Club Locker system, uh, handled it outstandingly. So we're looking forward to uh, getting that rolled out throughout the provinces in Canada as well, and making that available for tournament organisers and club managers to utilize this system. So that, that's one aspect there, Jerry. Mm -hmm. uh, officiating and the certification. So it's an important part of our community is continuing to develop the officiating program here in Canada, which um, I can proudly say it's perhaps one of the best organized in the world. Uh, other countries have come to Canada to um, to, to source from us, you know, how do you well, do things? some prolific officials over the years, don't we uh, guys? Absolutely. Like, uh, Harry Faggy, Graham Waters uh, and the like. Of course. Yeah. And, and you know, they've flown the flag of, of Canadian development of the officiating program around the world. And we've got others who want to continue doing that, who are heading off to Pan Am championships and the Commonwealth games and us open and, and uh, British open. So uh, we're very, fortunate to have um, people who love squash so much and want to put in their time, volunteer time, to um, be the best they can from the officiating perspective and continue you know, Canada's contribution to the, the requirement where officiation has to continue getting better. Uh, the television these days that we see on squash TV um, that they're still tampering with various ways of, of how to manage a game properly. Um, and it, it takes a lot of effort from our group to stay on top of that and contribute to the development. So uh, this is another element of, of uh, squash in Canada that Squash Canada has to be involved with and um, re re remuneration. <laughs> the guys will, will pin me on this one next time I see it, but they know it's important for us uh, that people get recognized for the work and time that they're putting into it. So uh, we've got, we've definitely got work to do there. You mean in terms of uh, official uh, officiating? Uh, sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, again, it, it, it's turning into uh, a profession for some people out there who who are dedicating so much time. Um, I'm not going to say it's you know, a, a livelihood at all. It's well, these guys spend the whole day at the, at the squash venue. Basically. And they travel a long yeah. way. Yeah. So, you know, as uh, we need recruitment, we need program growth, and uh, the people who are in the program are the advocates for that to happen, uh, but we've got to treat them properly. Yeah, I, I mean, one thing I've not, and I talk about this a lot on the podcast, it's just uh, compared, comparing the generation of squash now to the previous generation. I think it has a lot to do with officiating and the developments there. Uh, the, the players are a lot more sort of well-behaved, I think. Uh, and, uh, and I think that has to do with sort of the changes, not only with the, 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 the three referee system, but also, you know, what is a, a let, what is a stroke and, uh, I think it's a, a slightly clearer now than it was in the past. Yeah, yeah, uh, I, I agree with you. I think the the player group, I mean, the professionals on the court, I think they pay a lot of attention to the impression that they're sending, um, you know, through televising now that's just such a wider audience and opinions can easily be spread around the social media. So... You know, if people have the time to 
look into what people yeah, the might squ- be the saying. The squash pros are relatively uh, savvy. If, if you compare uh, you compare them to other professional athletes who seem to, you know, occasionally you hear of guys getting into trouble. I, I, can, I mean, squash is in a mainstream sport, so obviously we don't uh, see much of that But um, in squash. But yes, uh, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, well, uh, I guess another area to answer your question, um, under under 11s, under 23s, so development of these stratas, um, under 23, I mean, it's been around a long time. There's been players coming out of juniors uh, f- since squash began, and yeah. the challenge is how to keep them involved. Um, yeah. Players who have you know, put in a good 10 years of their life traveling to tournaments and achieving along the way, uh, who then, you know, are they finish their junior career and they've got options about what they want to do with themselves. So I under think that's, that's really important. The under 23 thing, I remember coming out of juniors and, you know, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't nationally a great player or anything, but uh, when I finished juniors in Atlanta, Canada, I was like, um, what do I do now? And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. and it was sort of like, I was, I didn't really know where to go. I just went up and I played in the, the men's open and I struggled for a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. No, that areas that we, we, we've got to pay close attention to because if our, if our under 19 players are exiting juniors, uh, you know, not necessarily the top three or four are automatically going to be our best players when they are under 25 player progression and development can still occur as a young adult. And uh, there's many examples where, uh, people, players on the PSA today uh, were not junior champions, but they were hard workers when they finished their junior. Well, Nick junior Matthew year. is a great example of that, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, th- I think uh, Peter Nichol, he yeah. is world junior champs. He lost in the round of 32. But, you know, there's always <laughs> opportunity, right, for for uh, players to to turn in, turn themselves into the player they may have always wanted to be. Uh, but we can't lose sight of them just because junior days are over. Well, it seems like there's maybe a bit more uh, available to the juniors now than maybe in the past in, in terms of, you know, going south of the border maybe for a squash scholarship or uh, teaching uh, as a coach somewhere or even uh, just access to really uh, decent training uh, in Canada and uh, not too far away uh, south of the border. Yeah, sure. Uh, and, you know, uh, I wouldn't deny the, the, the route through the college system in the States, you know, it, is, it, it's beneficial to the many of these players who choose to do that. Uh, again, it's what does the player want to get out of his exposure to squash? If it's, if it's happening through the college system in the States where the, the standard of squash there is just, in, you know, it's world class now at, at college level, uh, they can apply themselves just in much the same way as the player group who may choose to stay in Canada and uh, stay with the tertiary education system here and continue playing and and training amongst the nucleus of high-performance players in Canada. Either either choice is still a good one. It it comes down to, you know, what do they want to get out of it through that period of time between 19 years old and 25? Is there uh, the Squash Canada work at all with the varsity squash league that exists now? I know there there used to be back in the day McGill Western uh, it, Ryerson. Is there a connection there at all, or or and is that something that you might consider as a something you might want to look into or could look into? Yeah, it, it's something for the future. To be honest, we're not we're not directly connected into that league, and you know. Uh, credit goes to the Jester's organization uh, and the people behind organ- bringing these universities in, in Eastern Canada anyway together who can compete against each other on a similar model as the CSA, the, the College Squash Association in the States. But um, it, it's really the Jester's who have put the grunt work in behind that. But it, it's it's you know absolutely important for us to be looking in that and seeing how we can contribute to the development and the progress and uh, getting a, a tap into those players to find out where they stand with, you know, what's their intent from a competitive standpoint, or are they simply 
you know, just wishing to play at, at a high level while they're continuing to do their studies at the same time. People are there for different reasons, right? But right. Um, that is a good catchment group that Squash Canada uh, has to be paying some attention to. For sure. Now, uh, did uh, did you leave anything out there, Steve? Or uh... <laughs> well, <laughs> it sounds, oh, sounds yeah. like a it sounds like you you definitely have a great plan in front of you. Your work's cut out for you, but uh, and that that's kind of what you want, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Right. Um, your work right. cut out for you is a good thing, I, I think. Yeah, I feel I've got that here at the office and back at home as well. But nice um, looking office you got there, Steve. Some trees in the background. Uh, looks like you're you're at a, a golf course or something. Well, it's not. I, I wish it was. I, I can't say it is. I mean, uh, it's a it's an office building with glass, you know, shiny glass windows, and we get sucked up into it and then expelled at the end of the day. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's things that have to happen here, and some of them are squash Canada, and some of them aren't. But um, I'm, I'm trying my best to really just to manage both at the moment. Well, uh, before I let you go, Steve, again, thanks so much for your time. But I want to wish uh, the All Blacks good luck tomorrow against uh, Australia. Australia should be uh, sort of, uh, I mean, I don't know much about rugby, but the All Blacks usually have their way, don't they? Well, thanks for bringing it up. I, I will be watching at 3 a.m. Um, as I did last week, although they, they had a great run last week against Australia with their first their first match as a new unit for the season. Um, I, I watch every match. I, yeah. I don't miss one. And uh, so you, have, you haven't lost that part of your uh, oh, heritage? No, no, not at all. No, no, there's something I have to watch. It's going to be the All Blacks playing, and, and uh, it's always a great occasion for the whole country. So I'm normally in touch with my sisters back in New Zealand at the same time. My son Kelvin happens to be back in Christchurch right now. He's on a world tour, and, and uh, so he'll be watching it closely as well. Is he playing squash uh, world tour kind of thing? Or? It's not really. He's just finished college at McGill. And okay. so he's been on a, on a walkabout for a couple of years. Uh, so he's showing up there to hang out with my sisters and my mother in Christchurch and uh, get some feeling for his heritage. He's right. been there you know, many times before, but now he's, he's got to pay his own way. And uh, 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 he's been playing some squash uh, while he was back here, but you know, while he's on the road. He found that difficult. He had a backpack and a motorbike. So similar sort of story, right, uh, as myself. And um, yeah, yeah. I think now he's settled into Christchurch for a while. He'll probably pull up the racket and, and some shoes and he'll get back on court and start playing with some of my old mates down there. Right on. Right on. Well, uh, well Steve, uh, hopefully the All Blacks uh, do, do the job again uh, this week. And uh, great talking to you. It's been a, been a minute. And uh, all the best with the, new, uh, with the role as Squash Canada president. Thank you very much, Jerry, and uh, appreciate the opportunity to talk about it with you like this and for the listeners and you know, for all the support that I've had from people who have come forward. So uh, all the best, and uh, thank you, Jerry. Bye now. Thank you, Steve. Bye-bye. Well, thanks uh, again to Steve Wren, newly elected president of Squash Canada, for coming on to the podcast. Uh, as uh, we mentioned in the podcast, it had been over 20 years, I think since 1994. Uh, that was the last time we actually saw one another uh, at a squash event. I think it was a pro-am event in Halifax, Nova Scotia, the Atlantic Open, way back then. But uh, it was great to catch up, obviously. Uh, you know, Steve's out there. He's playing uh, well as a 50-plus player, and, and it was great to see... Uh, him uh, get elected uh, as president of Squash Canada. He's going to be able to make changes. Uh, he has a, a really, really good view uh, of what uh, it will take to uh, to improve uh, what's going on in Squash Canada. And as he mentioned, uh, what's been done till now is great, and now it's time to move forward and uh, make some uh, some more improvements and uh, make some great changes uh, that'll help the game. Uh, develop across Canada and he has a good vision for that so looking forward to seeing how that all plays out and I'm sure it will play out perfectly well uh, along with the team that he has assembled there including uh, Martin Heap so good luck uh, Steve and good luck to uh, Squash Canada uh, in the years to come now uh, before we uh, sign off for today I just wanted to uh, talk a little bit about what's been going on on uh, 
the uh, Squash Stories forum there on Facebook. Uh, that's run by Jamie Maddox. He's been on the podcast and really uh, enjoyed uh, talking to him about that. And uh, there's always something interesting and exciting, whether it's uh, with respect to uh, people, the, the community itself, uh, people bantering back and forth about different things. But uh, one um, topic that's up there right now is the the GOAT uh, uh, decision, uh, the, the greatest of all time, as voted uh, or as chosen by the people on the Squash Stories uh, community. And uh, number one hasn't been, uh, hasn't been released yet, but uh, until now, uh, uh, the big debate right now, uh, the big discussion anyways, is uh, Jonathan Power was uh, chosen as number five. Uh, Peter Nickel was there at 11, and I'm not sure where Jeff Hunt uh, was placed, but he was uh, below uh, Jonathan Power. Now, I have a friend uh, in Australia, a very good uh, squash player. We played on the same team together in in Dubai in their Premier League, uh, Gavin Pennington, and I think his family is quite... Uh, has quite deep roots in the squash community in Australia, and he he was uh, very very uh, disappointed with the the number five uh, with, with Jonathan Power, anyways, being uh, uh, above uh, Jeff Hunt, and rightfully so. Um, to me, uh, obviously, um, I'm partial to Jonathan, and and uh, never uh, any opportunity I had to watch him play. I would take it. I mean, it was always entertaining. There was always something. Uh, e- it was either with the referee or, or just the quality and the the way that he played. It was unlike anyone, I think, unlike anyone I'd ever seen up until that time. And I think he, that could be one of the reasons why he's at number five. He's just a popular, he's popular amongst the people just for the style of play that he had. Now, whether that uh, means he should be in the top five in that GOAT uh, conversation, that's another story. But what does it mean to be uh, the GOAT? Uh, There has to be criteria there if it's going to be objective. Subjectively, uh, that's a different, uh, maybe a different breed of GOAT, uh, I think. Uh, Objectively, I think uh, you've got uh, Jonathan might be lucky to be in the top ten. But uh, to me... There's not a player, even today. Uh, if he, if there was, if he was still playing today, uh, he'd be the guy that at, at the level that he was playing at. I think back in the late '90s, uh, that was you know, uh, he was still raw in terms of his talent and the ter- and in terms of uh, his um, nature, his uh, temperamental nature uh, on the court. Uh, I really enjoyed watching, like the the Hong Kong Open. I think it was '98 when he won and beat uh, Peter in the final, and uh, I think it was Simon Park in the semifinal. Uh, World Open champion, not in Qatar, not too long after that. Those years were, to me, uh, his best years, and obviously he had several great years after that. But um, uh, yes, of course, you know, in in an objective. Uh, uh, goat conversation where there's criteria and you'd be able to uh, to play. I may, maybe that's the next thing uh, squash stories ought to do is uh, bring in someone uh, who could uh, look at all the statistics, agree on um, criteria uh, for the uh, for the goat, uh, and then uh, assemble uh, a Mount Rushmore of squash. Uh, in terms of the in terms of the uh, the greatest of all time, but uh, I don't have a problem obviously uh, with with uh, the, the dis- with these uh, rankings just because it's a it's what the people uh, have to say. But obviously, my friend Gavin uh, and others who uh, have other you know maybe J- uh, Jan Shir Khan I think came in at number three or number four. Um, he you know arguably is the the true goat, given his, his performance record. But, uh, um, anyways, uh, that's a uh, something maybe for squash skills and, and Jamie. Uh, hopefully, he's listening. I'll, I'll send him a message, uh, anyways, to tell him to listen, and uh, hopefully that uh, he might uh, take that on and uh, bring in someone who uh, could do this uh, objectively. Look at the uh, uh, put together a criteria and then put forth the the true goat based on real um, criteria. 
Anyways, everyone, uh, looking forward to the next few weeks. We've got some great podcasts lined up, including uh, several, several players coming on to the podcast in the lead up to the 2018-2019 campaign. Not only that, friend of the podcast, Rob Dinnerman, a uh, prolific historian uh, who was on uh, about two months ago. Uh, he's coming back on to talk uh, about two books that he has coming out. One, I think, on the on Princeton squash history, and the second, which I'm looking forward to, on Sharif Khan, uh, a guy who was in the mid-'80s in North America, the man. Uh, he was uh, the best player at that time, I guess, on the hardball circuit. Uh, he dominated uh, for quite a while, and uh, looking forward to reading uh, about his backstory in that book and uh, what's happened, what happened to him over the years. And uh, also, you know, we didn't really hear much about those guys other than you know whether they won or lost we saw them play a bit but uh, we'll get to hear uh, more details uh, from Rob on in this book and hopefully uh, a bit of it uh, on the podcast uh, when he comes on and uh, we're going to also have a few episodes connected to the US varsity squash uh, uh, scene which is about to kick off as well so looking forward to those uh, coming up uh, in the next uh, month or so so everyone again thanks for listening Enjoy your squash, stay healthy, stay fit, and uh, have a great day now.